Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's guest is Dan Cathy, Chairman and CEO of Chick-fil-A. With Dan at the helm, Chick-fil-A has become the envy of the restaurant industry. The average unit volumes in their stores honestly just boggle my mind, even though they're closed on Sunday and they've had sales increases every single year of the 75 years they've been in business. Now, you can't get that kind of growth for that long without being really good at innovating and adapting. But somehow, they've done it while also staying true to their founding principles and their values. The secret, Dan says, is to marry the mission and date the methods. I just love that. Marry the mission and date the methods. That means they're not afraid to try new ideas or get rid of what's not working, whether that's a strategy or a process or a menu item. But the core mission never changes. If you're the kind of person who wants to chart a bold path forward, but you don't want to lose sight of what got you to where you are, then you're going to love this conversation. Although I should warn you, it could cause some pretty severe waffle fry cravings. So here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Dan Cathy. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Well, thank you, Dave. And of course, as you well know, that CEO reference that you made, of course, all the listeners know that, of course, stands for Chief Encouragement Officer. And I want to thank you for uh, setting the pace because you're known industry-wide and throughout you know, all of business as being the, the leadership, encouragement, recognition guru. So thank you for being a pace setter for all of us here. <laughs> oh, thank you, Dan. And you know, let's start out with a little fun. You know, I understand you have a pretty wild sock drawer with all kinds of <laughs> colors and, and cows on them. What, what's the story behind that? I don't know. That that we just started having fun with that two or three years ago. And I got socks falling out of my drawers there. I got so many <laughs> socks that people have sent me. I've got uh, some Chick-fil-A socks on right now that are kind of fashionable with the uh, black and white spotted cow uh, socks on. We've got milkshake socks and just all kind of things that people have sent me over the years. But it's been a lot of fun. And uh, these people looking at looking in the wrong in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> and your advertising is also a lot of fun, featuring a cow saying "Eat more chicken." What was the thinking behind that approach? I always like to find out what's the real story, yeah. how it happened. Well, it's about 18, 19 years ago, I guess, maybe now. But we were, uh, our agency of record at the time was the Richards Group in Dallas, Texas. And Stan Richards, who uh, started that incredibly wonderful independent agency out of Dallas, Texas. And we, we wanted to do something different. We were not much on TV at the time, mostly radio and a lot of billboards. Uh, and directional billboards even that we were doing. So we wanted to do something different. And they came up with several ideas, uh, and one of which was this one cow sitting on the back of another cow with a drippy paintbrush that did their best to spell eat, more, and chicken. The best they could do with chicken was C-H-I-K-I-N. And it had such a – people just resonated with the plight of these poor, helpless (laughs) – 
defenseless cows that didn't know how to spell very well, but they were passionate about getting their message out. And David, you can appreciate this. I got I get letters from time to time from English teachers reminding us of the disservice to literacy in America with these cows on billboards all over the country that don't spell very well. And so I sent them a little letter back. I said, well, you know, if you'll uh, pass out copies of our latest ads to the students, let them circle the misspelled words, then maybe we can help on the literacy issue. But uh, <laughs> I love it. a great, great campaign for it. People ask me how I'm going to keep it up. I like to tell them we're going to continue to milk it till the cows come home. <laughs> well, I don't blame you. It, it's, the, it's one of the best in the industry by far. You know, I love what you put on your name badge. You, you yeah. know, you talk, you call yourself the chief encouragement officer. What's on your name badge? So it says in training, David, and this came from visiting one of our restaurants at a grand opening several years back. And all the new employees had this little in training attached to their name tag. And I said, well, what, what is this all about? How do you get one of these? He said, well, these are our new, new team members and they're learning a lot. They're reading books. They're watching videos. And besides that, if they make a mistake, if the customer sees that they're just a trainee, they're in training, then maybe they'll extend a little grace to them. I said, wow. I said, I like that idea. I like to have four or five of those myself. So I can attach them to my name badges, which I did. And it obviously it provokes a, a little conversation. But it's very serious with me because I don't do it as a joke. I do it to really ask myself, you know, am I still learning? How many books did I read? Whose podcast am I listening to? And, and, and actually, how many mistakes am I making? Because as a leader, you know, we're going to we need to make mistakes just to let everybody else know that they're free to try new things as well. And as you know, business today is driven by curiosity and we've got to be curious. We've got to be explore things. We've got to make mistakes. Uh, and that's got to be very tolerable within the organization. So the leader has to set the pace. Yeah, I think you're very serious about that name badge, and it really makes a lot of sense as you, you talk about it. And, and, and at the same time, uh, Dan, you, you do have a lot of fun. I mean, there's no question about that. How, how important do you think it is for a leader to break through the clutter in the organization and, and have a little fun with themselves and not take themselves too seriously? Well, it's the, the leaders, obviously, as you all know, have to set the tone for the rest of the organization. And as rapidly as the marketplace is changing today, if we're not having this playful attitude of exploration and adventure, we're doing our organizations a disservice. Uh, you know, a, a rut, as someone has described, David, is a grave with both ends knocked out. And it's so easy for any of us, leaders as well, to lapse into the convenience of ready thinking. We, we get into, a, you know, a, a trough and it can lead to our demise. One of my leadership heroes of the 80s and 90s was Jack Welch. And I love what he said when he co quoted that, that uh, when the rate of external change exceeds the rate of internal change, disaster is imminent. And so being well-traveled and seeing a lot of things keeps us from getting into a rut and keeps our thinking sharp, alive. We're constantly looking like scouts on the top of a mountain, looking, you know, over the hill into the next valley, trying to anticipate where the puck is headed. Well, you're one of the best innovators in, in the consumer world these days. And, you know, you talk about innovation uh, being an iteration. You know, tell us your thinking on that. Well, it's not just the, the 
eureka, you know, bright idea that kind of dawns on us. But it's, I think a lot of innovation, frankly, is just the fresh combination. Uh, you had a wonderful affiliation in your career, of course, with Harlan Sanders and his, you know, secret spices that he put together. You know, those spices have been around since God created Earth. Um, just like Stephen Jobs and, and an Apple phone or an iPhone or an iPad, you know, those minerals that those fundamental hardware pieces have been around forever. But what he put together was a fresh combination. Great chefs are always working on great new combinations. Business leaders, I think, David, are the same way. We are always looking for a fresh combination that's exciting, that's new, it's interesting, it's novel, it solves a customer problem, maybe a problem they don't even know they have. But as leaders, we've got to anticipate maybe a problem that they might have. Uh, I never knew I needed an iPhone, you know, that has all these incredible, exciting features on it five years ago. Now, I don't know how to live without it. So it's all about putting, you know, fresh combinations and unique combinations around. And it's a lot about incremental improvement, leaning in little nuances every day, you know, just continuing to, to tweak with a, with a real eye to the outside world as we make internal changes. You know, I don't know if I've met too many people that love ideas more than you, and you're an idea man. And, you know, so I imagine you have so many ideas, you could drive your people crazy with all the things that you probably want to do. You know, how do you go about processing your own ideas before sharing them with your team? Yeah, well, one, I take people with me. I, I don't go solo whether it's visiting one of our restaurants or if it's going to South by Southwest uh, in Austin, Texas, or other conferences, we take groups of people with us. Uh, South by Southwest in the last 10 years has been a tremendous inspiration for me. And we rent two Airbnbs and populate those uh, at a conference like that with, um, with accounting people, lawyers, operations, tax accounting, and so forth so that we bring everybody along with us. Uh, if I had the vocabulary of Shakespeare, I, it would be impossible for me to fully communicate some of the things that I see on my travels. So I think it's essential as leaders, uh, we need to be well-traveled, but we better be having other people in tow with us because it's something about being on site in the moment in which we're seeing something. We say, hey, that's a great idea. We need to apply this. Uh, that way, you've, you've already got some built-in momentum already when you come back to share the, the, the new process. When you come up with an idea on your own, do you let it ruminate a little bit before you share it? Abs absolutely, David. I think that's a, a very important point uh, because ideas can be very fragile. Uh, we, can, we can drop them too easily. We need to let them incubate. And then at the right time, just very, very modestly begin to you know, open the curtain to what that idea might be. Because if you've not built enough courage and enough uh, passion or emotion around the idea, somebody's going to rain on your parade, you know, too quickly. But let it let it ruminate, go running, you know, play around to golf, whatever we need to do, let these things kind of resonate with us to see if they really, really are viable. Is this something that really moves us personally? Can this something we can really be passionate about? Because it's for sure we're going to hit headwinds. Uh, because the, the natural tendency is to put things to stay exactly as they are. It takes a lot of energy. People change for three reasons. They change for uh, pain, as you know, uh, get, get your hand off the hot stove, pain, 
fear of consequence or vision. And pain is a real easy motivator to motivate everybody to get a vaccine when everybody's you know suffering as they have been with COVID-19. But it could be fear of consequence. But to get people to, you know, to move based on vision takes a lot of energy. But it's very sustainable once it gets going. Dan, what's it would be the biggest idea you thought you had that, that didn't turn out so well? Oh my goodness. Uh, one that comes to mind is I've, I've shared with you is the idea of expanding Chick-fil-A to South Africa before we had expanded in any of our neighboring countries like Canada or Puerto Rico or Mexico. And we, we jumped out, you know, into a very volatile world in South Africa. Uh, I won't get into all the circumstances of why we were there, but um, I, I'm so passionate, continue to be that Chick-fil-A is a brand that needs to see uh, its day in, in other countries. But after we opened our first store there in 96 um, and two others in the next 48 months after that, but we ended up closing all three of them in 2001 after five years. So a lot of lessons to be learned. It um, helped me move a little bit more cautiously, represent how you know challenging these things need to be and how important it is that we have really, really good strategies. So we've expanded now into Canada, uh, doing very well there in Toronto. We'll be expanding this year in Puerto Rico and hope to learn a lot of lessons, David, from you and your leadership at Young Brands. So there's a lot of good research out there that we need to take advantage of. Well, I definitely think you will be a global brand. You've, you've got everything it takes. Was there ever a time uh, that you felt that your organization was getting a bit stale? And, and if so, what did you do about it? Mm. Yes. Uh, when we started seeing the movement towards salads and produce and consumers wanting waters and other kinds of things, uh, we didn't have a good water partner. Uh, Coke had not come up with Desanti. Uh, at the time, we were doing a lot of independent water brands. Uh, we were not moving as fast with our salad program as we needed to. We were not breaking up our front counter so we had better access to the consumer. Uh, it, we were just feeling very stodgy for me. And ultimately, we partnered up with SCAD, Savannah College of Art and Design, as many MBA programs have done, where they partnered up with great design schools to kind of kickstart a more innovative uh, thinking process within the culture of our business. Uh, this year, we're celebrating 75 years of being in business. And I say that, uh, as I talk about innovation, to say that the seeds of self-destruction are right there in that statement that we've been involved in business for 75 years because you start, <laughs> paving, you start paving the cow pass. Your, your museum of the past is, is bigger than the museum of the future. And so we radically redesigned our whole innovation process, put everybody through it. We started doing much more prototyping and we build uh, full-scale mock-ups in warehouses, you know, practicing, rehearsing our drive-through play, uh, redesigning prototypes of, of equipment uh, now like never before. I, I think we're an industry leader in that right now. You know, Dan, I can't go any further without asking you what I know everyone wants me to ask, and I know you've answered it a million times. Well, why do you? Why in the world do you close your doors on Sunday? You know, analysts say that you're leaving at least $2 billion in annual sales on the table. How'd that decision come about? Well, it goes all the way back, David, to the time my dad worked with his mom in a boarding house in southwest Atlanta. 
my grandfather was not able to provide for the family. And so that responsibility by default fell on the shoulders of my grandmother. And so she opened up their home to boarders that would come and stay. And my dad's job was to work with his mom in the kitchen, shucking corn and um, uh, shelling peas and washing dirty dishes. And on Sunday, uh, after they'd had a big meal, he was still out there washing pots and pans while his buddies were out there having a good time. And he said, even as a young child, if he ever got in the restaurant business, he would close on Sunday because he didn't like to ask other people to do that which he was not willing to do himself. Uh, that was not a big issue until the 1946 when he opened up his first restaurant. He decided to be closed on Sunday then. It was not a big trading day, as you can imagine, back in the 1940s. But it really became an issue as we got into shopping malls, particularly in the 80s um, and certainly the 90s, as uh, you know, being open seven days a week was more common. By then, we'd already established a reputation that we generated more business in six days than any of our competitors did in seven. And we've maintained that practice. I, I, from a practical standpoint, uh, I like to say that our food tastes better on Monday because we're closed on Sunday. And, you know, I really, I really believe that if we will make sure that we take time and we're honoring our people behind the counter, uh, internal service quality begets external service quality. And to the degree, and I know you, I know you believe this so much because of all the things you've written and said, David, yourself, but uh, as we love our people and they know that we love them, then that, that idea of, of loving and care and concern and genuineness at the personal level, that spills over the counter in ways that we'd never be able to describe, you know, in a three-ring binder or on a website someplace. I also think that, as Solomon said, that if we'll be wise to acknowledge the Lord in all our ways, he'll direct our paths. And for us, it's just a little bit, as our nation says, in God we trust, and at Chick-fil-A, we express that by being closed on Sunday. I respect that enormously. And and you mentioned your father, and he was an amazing man. And I, I believe he did, died when he was 93 years old. And, and I understand that he would have turned 100 years old yesterday if, if, he, if he was still alive. Uh, when, you, when you think of your father, Dan, and I know you could go on and on about him, but what would be the single biggest thing you learned from him? Well, it's, it's obviously he didn't teach me how to grow hair because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm as bald-headed as he was. I think it's part of being in the restaurant business. Uh, but I'm, I'm surprised you still have such a nice head of hair. Yourself, Dave. <laughs> I, I don't have volumes like yours. <laughs> but, um, golly, it's, it's, I, I would say learn to take advantage of unexpected opportunities. And I think that's really true, you know, in this day and time. Things are moving so rapidly you know, we all have strategic plans. We have budgets we have to put together, you know, on an annual basis. We refresh those and update those, of course, throughout the year. But if we would allow a little white space on our calendar, if we would have a little extra, you know, in cash so that we can move and adapt quickly to ever-changing uh, dynamics that are going on in the marketplace, that we could incubate new ideas, that we could have things on the back burner, as we might say in the restaurant business, but we may find that those things on the back burner all of a sudden are catapulted forward to the main stage, uh, the main entree at a moment's notice. 
So it's important to have that that depth. So let's learn to take advantage of unexpected opportunities. Oh, that's great. You know, and you know, I I, I read this and, and I understand that he he made you sign a covenant that you'd never take the company public and and not open up on Sunday. Is that is that a true story or no? It's what not. Was thinking not true, David. In this, he didn't make us do it. Actually, it was uh, my brother and my sister and I, the three of us kids. And uh, it was not his suggestion or even his idea. But we, between the three of us, we said, we need to affirm, you know, our parents. We need them to know that uh, that now we're in our adult years, that we want to affirm the values and the principles that they taught us to be cooperative and collaborative in the way in which we make decisions, to be honorable and respectful of our restaurant operators and our corporate staff, and that uh, we're not going to open on Sunday, and we're not going to take the public, the company public. And we just simply wrote that in a two or three little paragraphs, each signed our name to it. We presented it to our parents. And we really had no intention of him making a, a public uh, statement about it. But he shared it with our operators and shared it with our corporate staff. And it seemed to really meant a lot to them. So it was not at all something he made us do but something that we willingly committed to him. Someone said that children are messengers we send to a time we will not see. And so I hope that between our marriages and all our children that continue to be involved with our business, that we can be an extension of that life's message. I love the fact that you guys did that. That's a, that is, that's just great. You know, and now you you look at Chick-fil-A and, and you are the envy of, of the industry by far, you, you have the highest average unit volumes in the industry, over $5 million per store. And just for our listeners out there, you know, a KFC would do a little over a million per store. Uh, so that's just a huge business. But listen to this. This is just a little, few facts here for you. 90 stores that are Chick-fil-A's do over $10 million in, in sales. And one store in California does $17 million. And these are like unheard of Unheard of volumes, you know. Uh, Dan, tell us about your business model. How do you do this? Yeah, well, it's built on the idea that Dad, when he was 25 years old, after World War II, opened his first little restaurant called the Dwarf Grill. And uh, when he and his brother opened that restaurant, the only cash they had was $4,600. And that's after they sold the car that they owned between the two of them. Then they got a loan for $6,000. Uh, So for a little over $10,600, they bought the land, built the building, and equipped it. But he he really languished over having enough capital to to grow the business and do the things that he wanted to do and to advertise. And he he had a lot of inherent marketing savvy, although he never attended college. And so when we opened our first shopping mall location in 1967, he remembered back what it was like for him to be 25 years old, to not have the cash. He had a burning desire to be successful. And so we built our Chick-fil-A operator model today uh, after that experience that he had. So we, Chick-fil-A corporately, we, we fund all the capital that it takes for the, for the restaurant, for the real estate, the building, equipment. And we sign an operating agreement with an individual to operate that location. And unlike any other franchise systems, we actually share in the profitability of that restaurant, not just a percentage of the sales. 
And that's very unique. And it puts us on the same side of the table with our restaurant operators. Any new equipment, any new menu items, any major renovations that are required, we as the brand fully fund that. So that keeps our restaurants looking sharp and not dependent upon you know, the cash reserves of a local franchisee to put money back into, into the business. And that, over time, has become a distinct competitive advantage. And you've had, believe it or not, everybody, 75 years of sales increases. You know, when you look at just the Chick-fil-A success, what do you think is the key that drives the sustained success that you've had? Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I don't want to be overly spiritual here, but if you ask it that way, I have to be very honest with you to say that um, we feel like God has divinely blessed our business. And it's nothing that we've earned or deserved. None of us ever earned or deserved God's, God's favor on our lives, on our marriages, on our health. You know, it's just a gift that comes from Him. But if we'll just acknowledge Him, as I mentioned earlier, in all our ways, He'll help us make wise decisions. He'll help us make good decisions about uh, how much debt we take home. He'll make help us make wise decisions about people choices and decisions that we make. Peter Drucker wisely said, it's not about the what, it's all about the who. And boy, do we have to ask for a lot of wisdom to make good choices about selection of restaurant operators. It's said that it's easier to get a job with the CIA than it is with CFA. Uh, <laughs> because we labor so hard in multiple, multiple interviews that may take course over over several years, actually, before a person, you know, we decide on a person for an individual restaurant. So selection of people, uh, be careful in making good decisions. Um, and if we just, you know, pray and ask God to give us wisdom, he will. You know, with the kind of success you've achieved, you could either grow or swell, Dan. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you keep the company and yourself hungry? <laughs> well, it, it keeps my feet on the ground to be married to my wife who uh, who helps me keep my feet on the ground, for sure, you know? And we all of us leaders have to have these people that are truth-tellers in our life that, that man, they, they, they won't let our heads swell up, you know, with pride or arrogance or hubris. And as I said, when you're walking around with it, and your name tag says in training, you know, and, and you, you make mistakes, it's, it's, uh, it's easy to be, it's easy to have an attitude of gratitude you know, and thankfulness that you're surrounded by such a wonderful, incredible group of people that we've uh, accumulated into our Chick-fil-A family over a long period of time. I do think growth and a growth mindset, David, is very important to momentum. Uh, we personally have got to be growing uh, in, in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, and that growth mindset becomes a magnet for other people to say, hey, I want to get caught in the wake of that kind of growth. I want to, I want to be reading off his reading, his reading list. I want to be listening to his podcast and on and on and on. So there's a draft, if you will, that as a leader moves forward in their own personal and professional development, other people want to draft alongside that and, and they flourish. And so some of the leaders that we have in our own Norm Brinker as an example. I think of Norm out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, mm -hmm. He passed away here a number of years ago, but he was kind of like the Jack Welch. Would you agree in our industry? Yeah, he was amazing. In, in terms of yeah. attracting leaders. 
Yeah. So, yeah, you know, uh, Dan, you know, speaking of leadership, you started out the top of the show talking about the CEO being the chief encouragement officer. What hats do you wear as the CEO? I mean, do you think about wearing different types of hats or do you just kind of see your role in, you know, pretty single-minded fashion well, growth? or the, the leaders I see are, are so, they're buzzing around. They're in so many different areas of their business. Uh, and they're in so many different areas in the marketplace, as I said, being well-traveled. Leaders I admire are people like Sam Walton, who with a baseball hat would sit on a concrete floor with his associates doing the Walmart cheer with the squiggly and everything. There are people like Bernie Marcus, Arthur Blank, who would walk through Home Depots with an orange apron on. You know, the, these are the kind of earthy, approachable leaders that are authentic. Uh, they're, they're, you, you, you can see the transparency. That they, they open their lives up. They're incredibly accessible. They easily share their cell phone numbers, their email addresses. They make it easy for people to know that they can get in touch with them. And those are the kind of leaders I admire. Those are the kind of hats, if you will, as you put it, that I think we have to uh, to wear. You mentioned it earlier. You're a family of entrepreneurs. Uh, and as you look in the future, how do you keep the, the spirit of entrepreneurship alive in your own company, you know, uh, and and do you worry about losing it? There's a wonderful book out now, David, uh, that I really resonated with in our Chick-fil-A uh, halls, and it's The Founder's Mentality. And it's going back and trying to understand what were some of the key fundamental principles of entrepreneurship that led to the evolution or the development of a business. And somehow we need to continue to tell those stories and to incubate some of that skill level. Now, Chick-fil-A is a privately held business, um, and it's just our own family members that, that own the business. And it'll be to our death if we don't continue to perpetuate entrepreneurial skills. And so we very intentionally are building new business ventures that our third generation can participate in. Uh, I myself have got uh, a lot of side hustles that have really helped me expand my thinking uh, about new markets, new industries, and how to, if we could have two or three different industries that we could hold in our head at the same time and watch how rapidly they're evolving, we'll, we'll find that's going to be a tremendous benefit you know, to our core business in expanding our thinking and see the possibilities that are out there. Dan, you mentioned this, or you you referenced a little bit earlier. You know, We did go through an incredible experience as a country when we saw the the, the the tragic murder of George Floyd and and racial equality is is a huge issue in our country. How much of the recent events really influenced your leadership? Mm. Well, it's, it has to be a heartbreaking situation for us, and and it it was breaking my heart before we saw the summer of 2020, as I saw the issues of crime. Uh, in our 30314 zip code in Atlanta. It was the number one zip code in Atlanta, right across from a, a multi-billion dollar football stadium. Number one zip code in the state of Georgia on homicides, home foreclosures, HIV AIDS, high school dropouts, incarceration rates. Number one in the whole state of Georgia, right across you know, from this incredible football stadium, which I was very supportive of, but I'm not supportive of having people dig around in a trash can trying to find something to eat, you know, when we got people, you know, eating, uh, you know, cocktails and caviar 
you know, at a, at a nice stadium. And we failed to acknowledge him. Uh, Arthur Blank, who is a dear friend and colleague in Atlanta, he also broke his heart. And so Arthur Blank and myself and other Atlanta c- citizens that have a burden for this uh, see the need. And so these issues like we saw of, of injustice, uh, they've got to break our heart. It's got to be something that emotionally moves us to take action. We're allocating, for instance, this year in our Chick-fil-A Foundation and our Windshape giving programs where we're focusing in on black-led, uh, African-American-led uh, ministries and social organizations because we're going to have to to really heavy up in these communities to span the bridge of the chasm. There's so many factors, David, that are causing a divergence here. For instance, the Internet creates huge learning inequities like we've seen with, with uh, remote education. doesn't work. You know, when you don't have, you know, a high-speed access cable coming into your home or apartment or wherever you may live. And so we've got to step in the gap. We're going to have to go out of our way to make up of these inequities that we have. It'll take a long time to close this gap. But I feel like it's a moral imperative for us as a nation. I agree. You know, and uh, moving back, shifting gears and going back to Chick-fil-A a little bit, you know, you're you know, absolutely focused on the customer experience. I mean, I remember talking to you years ago about, you called me up and you told me about your extra mile uh, service program that you had. And one of the things that I really love seeing in your restaurants is how focused you are on the family experience. You know, everybody talks about creating that, you know, unique retail experience, but you're really focused on the family. How do you think about that? Well, um, we're, we're have a, family bias in that we're one we're owned by family uh our we got family leadership that's with with the brand our operators our restaurant operators you know our family members themselves who have a spouse that may be working uh, for them they may have a son or daughter that uh, is working in that restaurant as well and many of them that are working as sons and daughters they aspire to want to be there be a restaurant operator themselves and we have dozens and dozens of our restaurants now that are operated by second and even third generation, you know, families that have been in the business. But we, we're serving families in our local communities, uh, both the urban stores as well as suburban stores with children's playgrounds and so forth. We love to do events, David. We can't wait to get back to doing events so we can repopulate our dining rooms again after COVID. But um, we, we have what we call daddy-daughter date night, for instance, which is a fun deal where we a local operator will get a, a limousine or maybe even a, a horse-drawn carriage. And the dad will be there with his date, which is a, a young his young daughter. And she'll be all dressed up uh, like a Valentine's night, perhaps. And they'll take a ride around the store in a horse-drawn carriage, if you can imagine this. We'll turn out the lights in the dining room and light out candles uh, on our tables. We'll have a printed menu. We'll seat them. And not only can they order off the the little menu there, we'll bring it to their table, table side, like a four-star, five-star restaurant. But then we have discussion guides, David, which is really cool. And it's questions that a daughter can ask their daddy and questions that the daddy can ask the daughter. You know, one of the fun questions, you know, daddy, when, when did you and mommy kiss for the first time? And, <laughs> you know, the girls have maybe never, never heard that story. But those are fun little stories to prompt. And, you know, at Chick-fil-A, if we can be the most caring company, it's because we care about helping parents be better parents 
and to love their children and to be the examples that they're so needed today. You guys are definitely doing it. And that's why you have the kind of volumes you have. You, you know, you, you want to come back to Chick-fil-A. You know, it's amazing when you go through the drive-thru at a Chick-fil-A and you got all these cars just stacked up. Uh, but I have to tell you, I go in that drive-thru with 100% confidence that I'm not going to be there that long. And the time flies. And, I, you know, how do you build a, a culture of speed like that in your restaurants? Oh. Well, it's enabled, David, with a lot of technology. Uh, I would say that before COVID, uh, we'd been leaning forward into, as I mentioned earlier, as we think about innovation and creativity, you know, you're oftentimes working on projects that may not have an immediate apparent application, but are more, you know, kind of where the puck is headed, as Wayne Gritsky, that great hockey player, would say. And so we have to have, you know, built in this reservoir of new thinking, new ideas. When we had a, a crash and burn uh, on our electronic payment transaction system with credit cards, it went all the way across the country. It was a, it was an awful day. Uh, it was um, back in the, in the month of March, and boy, had we not had some backup new currency things that we were working on, backup systems, we would have been in big, big trouble. So it's not just for the anticipation of growth for the future, but it also helps build, you know, a defense mechanism that you can handle emergencies when, they're, when they, they come your way, which they're sure to have. We, we can never anticipate everything that's going to happen. So we better build a big bench strength. It was major news when I think it was Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. They're, they had a drive-through coronavirus vaccine clinic, and the cars were just backed up there, and people couldn't get their vaccinations. And I understand the mayor, the town mayor, called the Chick-fil-A manager yeah. and asked him to help him out. And what happened? So, yeah, I think the headline was they're calling it. The mayor says, let's call in the professionals. <laughs> so they called the local Chick-fil-A operator who, uh, who within minutes kind of saw, saw the problem that was there and began to apply some of the expediting, you know, ways in which we, you know, move cars, move people, organize things just a little bit better. But, you know, we just make little small tweaks, David, and it'd be amazing how much better the throughput is of whatever uh, the, the system may be. So uh, someone said that we need Chick-fil-A needs to be administering all the COVID testing and all the vaccine distribution. But uh, we're going to stick to what we know to do. But it's honoring when that happens. Um, and to know that you can be trusted and to build a trustworthy, you know, worthy brand. So all of us as leaders, you know, let's, let's, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Um, and, and that's really important for us. To, let's get better and better at uh, and making these incremental improvements every day. Speaking of COVID, how, how did COVID impact your business? And, and what did you do to really, you know, make your business thrive in this tough time? Because you had uh, increases in sales this past year. Well, I'll save the punchline uh, to give you that answer in just a moment. But to say that it had a huge impact on any retail business, obviously, many of which have immediately shut down for the most part. You know, during the month of uh, March and April, we began to kind of figure out how we could could safely, you know, repopulate behind our restaurants with with team members. And you know, we we have thousands of teenagers that are working with us and huge responsibility to parents of young teenagers to have a safe working environment for them. So we put 
hand washing stations and uh, all of our drive-throughs. We we deployed um, you know iPads and you know triple the population of people outside taking up orders. Uh, our local uh, building authorities and zoning permitted us to have canopies and covers that we began to put out in our, our parking lots. But the net of it is we shut down our restaurant, the inside of our restaurants. We moved all that business outside and we ended up uh, with a little over a 10% overall sales increase for our system in, in 2020, which we were very, very grateful for. Wow. You know, what? what's the capital A stand for in Chick-fil-A? Uh, it stands for grade A. Dad, the original chicken sandwich, dad named and put it on, on his little dwarf grill menu called a chicken steak sandwich. And it was such a hit on our menu that other restaurateurs uh, wanted to, to, you know, can we serve, you know, this chicken sandwich too? But then went to an attorney to find out you could not register the name chicken steak sandwich. It was too generic. So he came up with this funny little spelling, chick and then fill in the A. So the fill A is a is a, a play off the idea of, of a filet mignon. Uh, but then the little twist with the a dash A standing for grade A, uh, number one, uh, U.S. grade A. So that was the idea, chick and then fill and then the dash A. And by the way, David, you'll appreciate this. We paid an artist $75 in Atlanta to come up with that little chicken comb and the beak and the little eye that's there, $75. And I've got a copy of that invoice. <laughs> best ad dollars we ever spent. You're right about that. And, you know, you've added new products over time, including, I know you have this mac and cheese product. How does a new product earn its way on the menu? Well, it, it has to go through quite a, uh, quite a gauntlet. Uh, you know, one is, is it, does it meet a need that we don't already have covered on our menu? And again, those needs continue to evolve and change. You know, the items that we had like coleslaw and carrot raisin salad and potato salad at one time, you know, those, were, those were great products back in the 60s and 70s, but we had to, to move along. Uh, an expression that I really resonate with, it says we've got to marry the mission and date the methods. And some, oftentimes in the restaurant business, we can have some tired, worn-out menu items they're tired and worn out, but they've been such a tradition that we keep them anyway, but they take up space. They take, take up space, as you know, in equipment, in the kitchen, you know, small kitchens. You can't you keep adding things to the menu. And certainly with a drive through business, you add complexity and it takes longer for people to make choices looking at that menu board. So you've got to be committed to pruning your menu in the restaurant business. And every business has to prune their, their ideas. You know, don't pave the cow pass. Don't don't marry methods. We need to stay married to the mission and only date the methods. And I believe about ninety percent of it is methods. Only ten percent are the is the mission. So in other words, everything needs to be subject uh, virtually to change, except for our core mission and our core why of what we're doing. So we're constantly evolving our menu. We've got uh, all kind of test panels. We've got um, we got dietitians where we're anticipating new flavors, new ingredients, uh, continuing to improve our existing menu items, but incubating. And we'll probably have at any given time at least a dozen or more items that are in prototype in uh, six or eight different markets. And it's about a two-year process. I know that sounds long, 
uh, and it's longer than it should be. But we really, we really work these new items to make sure they're going to work in our kitchen. Also, make sure we can train our people to do it uh, properly, and make sure that it doesn't uh, starve off, you know, other other menu items that may be in a competing space. Well, that mindset drives operational excellence for sure. And Dan, when you think about your your life and your career, you you've had so much success, but, but everybody struggles, you know, what would be the biggest personal adversity you, you ever faced and, and how'd you handle it? Um, there was a time early, early in my career in the 1980s, I guess it was where we did a survey, David, in which our customers in a particular market said, and we were just beginning to do customer surveys. That was, that became very popular in the, in the eighties and nineties. And, we, we have mystery shoppers and different processes and so forth that have evolved over time. But initially, we were doing just a little interview survey. And uh, there was a time I was in charge of, directly in charge of operations. And the result was 25% of the customers said, based on that visit, they would not return back to Chick-fil-A. And that, I was aghast by that. To think 25%, you're losing 25% of your customers. Think of how much effort it takes to replace those customers. And so I thought that everybody else was the problem. I thought those operators weren't Chick-fil-A restaurant operators. They weren't paying attention, you know, to cleanliness in the restroom. And the waffle fries, you know, were getting cold. And the service was surly. And, you know, it's those operators. They need to be doing a better job. Then I pointed a finger to our operations people, our corporate staff, that they're playing too much golf. They're sitting, you know, they're not actually confronting problems. And on and on and on. And after about a year and a half of beating up on everybody else, there was a book that mysteriously appeared on my desk called Quality is Free by Philip Crosby. And in this book, Quality is Free, one of the salient points that really hit me between the eyes is when he said that what's in a business is a reflection of leadership. And boy, was that incriminating. If I really accepted that, that means that that's surely you know, service or cold waffle fries or dirty restrooms, that was a reflection of me and my attitudes and my behavior. But if I could change me, I could change the rest of the organization. So all of a sudden, I had a a much different attitude and I became a student. And we began to study what was going on in quality in the automobile industry and in other industries. And this quality revolution that was going on in the 80s and the 90s that kind of, you know, put us back into globally a competitive place uh, in a lot of manufacturing areas. And we applied those principles to Chick-fil-A and it changed our business, but it changed because I had a different attitude as a leader. I said, I've got to learn this. I've got to know this. I've got to have a teachable spirit. And I've tried to maintain that still today since I'm just a trainee. (laughs) You're a very good trainee. Uh, You know, this has been so much fun. I got to ask you, some questions. I, l- I love to do this lightning round of Q&A here. So I'm going to do, you know, real quick uh, lightning round of Q&A. What three words best describe you? Mm. Uh, visionary, uh, passionate, and caring. If you could be one person for a day that isn't you, who would it be and why? If I could roll back the clock, it would maybe be a Sam Walton because he was such a courageous leader. And he turned retailing up on his ear. I, I have a great effort. I had the privilege of meeting one time and being one of his Saturday morning meetings. And it was one of the great memories of my of my life. 
I've seen those. They're awesome. You know, uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? Mm, litter on the floors. I, I, I love to pick up paper. I hate to see it. Uh, but uh, and so I, I'm a paper picker upper. Uh, <laughs> my dad would let me walk in our little restaurant as a child unless I had a cigarette butt or, you know, something in my hand. So always picking things up. <laughs> only problem is when I pick up paper, my wife won't hold my hand until I wash my hands. That's the only problem. <laughs> What's something about you that few people would know? Hmm. Uh, not many people know that I'm a trumpet player. Uh, I'm a I'm an avid and lifelong musician. Love music, and uh, I try to practice every day. And I'm staying in pretty good shape. I've got a wedding coming up soon for a nephew, so I'll be ready to go. You're an avid learner. You visit all different kinds of companies for you know, Mattel, Google, all over the place. What's your favorite best practice visit? Uh, recently at Amazon, I mean, I, I could cite a bunch of them, but recently been in Amazon in Seattle and seeing the way they've organized their campus to see how forward thinking they are in collaborative learning space. Uh, that and other site visits cause us to dramatically change, you know, the whole style in which we we operate. Uh, we have I have no desk. I have no credenza. I have no door. I have no defined space. I have a little uh, locker like everyone else has where I could put a put a hat or a raincoat or an umbrella or whatever. But I just migrate all over the office. Uh, you know, when we when we reconvene our office, which we've not had for the last year, but I think it's being able to move around. But, but visiting, you know, places like Amazon and others, these new learning environments, the new operating environments are, uh, are critical to business performance. You know, we talked about your your dad. What's the biggest lesson you learned for your mom? Mm. She was the technology person. She was the early adapter. She, we were the first ones to have World Book Encyclopedia, David, on Little <laughs> Turner Road. So she was the first one to have a, a Kodak uh, Instamatic camera with the little rotating flash cube on it. Uh, she was the first one to have a big. It looked like a big suitcase that was a video photographer to, you know, do capture videos. So I appreciate that, that about her. And I still try to be uh, absorbent technology as, as often as I can. About to wrap this up, just two more questions. One would be, what would be, you've given a lot of great advice already, but what would you be the three bits of advice that you would most want to give aspiring leaders? Mm. But if I was sitting in a dining room, as I often do, and I'll, I'll pull together six or eight of the leaders that are there, um, and there's, and if I was sitting in the Chick-fil-A dining room with aspiring leaders who are young in their career, perhaps they're older teenagers or in their 20s, I, I would remind them of a, of a simple little Sunday school lesson that my dad often taught to 13-year-old boys, and I think still resonates you know, with us today. He said the three most important decisions we make start with the letter M, who our master in life is going to be, who our mate in life is going to be, and what our mission in life is going to be. And if we get really squared up and make some really, really thoughtful and wise decisions about our master, mate, and mission, I think we'll be set on a trajectory of success. And I, I believe God wants us all to be successful, to be the total person he wants us to be and accomplishing the goals that he helps us to set for our life. Dan, do you have any thoughts on, on your legacy and how you want to shape the company in the future? Well, I, I do think, you know, companies are, are at their best when they 
meet the needs of the marketplace, but they're great citizens in the community. Our corporate purpose uh, probably best expresses how I'd like to be thought of, and it was defined about 35 years ago, and it simply says this, that our, our purpose, the big why statement, Simon Sinek, as we know, asked the question, you know, start with why. So this is the why, and for me, it's very personal. It says that we're here to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that's entrusted to us and to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. That, that is great. And uh, this just makes me have to ask you one more question. You are just an unabashed Christian. You, 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 you believe with God with all your heart. You know, how much does prayer come into to your, your life in terms of the decisions that you make? Well, you know, today's marketplace, as it always has, has called for courageous leadership. And I think there's a sense of inadequacy that every leader has to deal with. Uh, you know, if we don't have inadequacy, then we set the bar too low. But we're not aspiring to big, hairy, audacious BHAG goals. BHAG stands for big, hairy, audacious goals. And so as leaders, no, nobody's going to aspire to get excited about little dreams. Little dreams stir no man's heart. And I firmly believe as a leader, the bigger, the bolder, the more courageous the goals that we set uh, for ourselves, the easier it is to lead. But we better be prayerful. Ask God to give us a lot of wisdom, to give us the strength and the courage we need, just like he gave to Joshua uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, that's one of the reasons I think the Bible is so authentic. It's so real. Uh, it helps us understand our own weaknesses, our own fallibility, how, how weak we really are, if we really are honest with ourselves how much in need we are of uh, those around us that give us the encouragement that we need. Well, Dan, I want to thank you so much for, for the great advice that you're offering our aspiring leaders. And uh, thank you for being so open uh, with how you're building your business and your, and your faith. You're, you're an incredible person and I admire you very much. Well, thank you, David. And thank you for the work that you're doing. The, the, the leadership as you as so often said, leaders aren't born. You know, they're built. They're people that are pouring in to the next generation. And for, for those that aspire to want to be a leader, it's a noble thing to, to want to lead for the sake of the influence that we can have on the next generation. If we fail to lead, if, no, if, if leaders that have values, good values and good principles, if they fail to lead, then by default, that leadership of influence is going to go you know, to something less. And we can't let that happen in society. We cannot have that, have that happen in the marketplace. Uh, leaders with boldness and courage and good values have got to lead, and they've got to be intentionally pouring into others. So it's a real honor, David, to see the influence that you're having, the thousands of people that, that you're reaching. I love listening to your podcast when I'm out jogging, and uh, that's when I get pumped, and I find out, if I listen to David Novak's podcast, I'm actually going to run a little faster. So, <laughs> You're the best. You're the best. And thank you for that Chick-fil-A coupon. I can't wait to go get that original <laughs> chicken sandwich. Yeah, just pay, David. Be sure to bring somebody else with you that pays full price. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I obviously came up in the restaurant industry, and I have to tell you, that was a conversation I just loved. Isn't Dan Cathy a great storyteller? And gosh, 
He has a lot of great stories to tell about the success that Chick-fil-A has had since he's been in charge. They really do have the best-run restaurant operations in the world. And I have to tell you, I'm envious. And Dan's probably got the most fun sock drawer in the world, too. I just love that. This guy has everything. The best restaurant company in the world and a sock drawer that everybody wants. And this week, as part of your weekly personal development plan, I want you to do something silly. I want you to buy yourself a pair of fun socks. No, I'm serious. Not just any fun socks. I want you to find a pair that's going to remind you of your mission. For Dan, his socks have milkshakes and cow spots on them. For you, I imagine it'll be something different. I know what I'm looking for right now. I'm looking for some socks with some golf balls on it because I want to improve my game. But when you wear them, you're going to look down and smile and be reminded of a huge lesson for every leader. We've got to find new methods to stay fresh and grow and be innovative. And, and by the way, have some fun while we're doing it. Never losing sight of our mission, our big why that guides us and inspires us. Marry the mission and date the methods. And hey, go out and buy yourself a pair of socks. So do you want to know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders understand that the methods change, but the missions don't. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple on each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader that you can be.